0: Let's go. let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's play to the time. Baby, Rip City is jumping now. Keep okay, brindle up
1: the middle.
0: Hit. Oh. 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 Come on, everybody! All right, everybody, welcome to the 204th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man
1: Sage chilling here in portland oregon no i'm not i in beaverton whatever there's someone yeah, smoking boy there's someone smoking some nasty gonge and it, it it threw me off my game right for start i'm like did a skunk die in the apartment below me god damn but it's permeating it, it's it, it's distracting it threw me off my game like needing not needing to pee anyway
0: <laughs> yeah Man. Anyway, we are here Thursday night after the Blazers defeated the Brooklyn Nets 134-133 in a heart pounding thrilling finish just, you know, 48 hours removed from a similar thrilling finish where the Blazers defeated the Dallas Mavericks 134-131. Blazers end up going 6 and 2 in the seeding games and have earned themselves the 8th spot in The 2020 plan, they will face the Memphis Grizzlies Saturday morning at 1130 on on ABC. They just need to beat the Memphis Grizzlies one time to advance to the postseason. Sage, I tried everything I could do to be calm. But it's like this team just doesn't want to allow any Zen. (laughs) I mean, I tried to be positive on Twitter saying, we're going to have a third quarter. We're going to be good in this quarter. We get outscored 37-24. It's like clockwork with this team. How are you feeling after these two intense games? To me, like every I look back at the box score for every game in the bubble, and there was not one single-digit contest. Every game went down to the last possession I don't know if if Rip City as a collective can take much more.
1: There's nothing that I could do. For the Dallas game, the second half, I was in a family Zoom meeting for my older brother's birthday, and I was on mute. And, like, they knew I wasn't paying attention because they could just see my facial expressions. But for that Dame three that was miraculous, that bounced up up past the backboard... Somehow, and I think, like, the host of the Zoom saw how intense I was. So he unmuted me without my knowledge. Mm. And I just yelled, holy fucking shit. Holy fucking shit. And then they were like, what happened? So I had to explain myself, like, I've been watching the game. I don't really know what you guys are talking about. But here's what happened in basketball terms. (laughs) That's a
0: sketchy move on the Zoom host part. That's that's dirty.
1: know. I answered their stupid questions at the, at the start of the third quarter, put myself on mute and was chilling. And then all of a sudden I'm the center of attention.
0: I mean, I, I, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, I think we should kick it off with the man of the bubble. They The NBA announced there is going to be a first team all bubble, a bubble MVP. I don't know how it could go to anyone other than, than damian lillard he is the focus of every team's defense even Mm. the brooklyn nets playing with nothing nothing on the line was still double teaming the man at half court in the second half of a game sage his numbers for the bubble are just out of this world you're looking at nearly 38 points per game on 50 percent shooting from the field 44 percent from three 89 percent from the line damn near 10 assists four rebounds, a steal and a half per game in 42 minutes. You're looking at Dame putting the team on his fucking back, going almost 50, 40, 90 efficiency with 38 and 10. How is he not a top five player in the league? I mean, you just see in his eyes, he was not going to let this team lose.
1: The fact that he handles the ball so much and has that few of turnovers just shows the decision-making and how much, he realizes each possession is valued in these 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 games that can really swing from making the playoffs to not. Like he he's showing like each possession is very precious because there, there's only so many left, and you see him make some f- fantastic reads that you can see it on the TV that there is that passing lane. But live action going 100% making that pass is incredible. So he, he's he been re- putting the team on his back and carrying us as far as he can take us.
0: And you look at, let's take the Brooklyn game because it's the most fresh in our minds. And you look at some screen caps, of video, when he's bringing the ball up the floor, every member of the Brooklyn Nets has eyes on Damian Lillard. And there's at least three within the vicinity of him they feared this man so much. They were willing to let Gary Trent jr. Who was shooting over 40% from three in the bubble and CJ McCollum wide open looks. Uh, They let Mello have a wide open look. I mean, it it just, it's incredible. The amount of attention that he really. I'm, I'm, I'm bumming out on the word he, he just receives.
1: Well, choose your poison. Like if you were the Brooklyn nets, if you were their coach, wouldn't you rather have Mello or Gary Trent or CJ shoot than the hottest player on earth, Damian Lillard. I mean, they, they picked a strategy that it took us like two or three passes to get an open shot. So, you know, it it was kind of like that prevent defense. We talked about last podcast where it was like pass, pass score. So, They conceded easy two-point baskets to stop Dame from giving them a haymaker three-pointer.
0: That's a really good point. And Dame had 12 dimes in one turnover, which is just so incredible. He could have had 15 to 18 dimes, though, Sage. I mean, there were some wide-open looks that he was just just easy passes to his shooters. Um, What I really liked is even though there's a couple things I liked. One was Gary Trent. He knew he missed two really wide open looks. I think they were both on the same possession. But then he came
1: I think CJ got the rebound and passed it back.
0: He came back down and then buried a three. Um Dame also trusted him off of a drive. He had a layup and he kicked it out to Gary for another three. That's one thing I loved. The other more important thing is the Blazers finally they finally figured out how to use their size advantage with use of Nurkic in that fourth quarter. The middle of the floor was so open. We've seen teams do this time and time again, against the Portland trailblazers. Most recently in the playoffs against the golden state warriors, we just didn't have the playmakers to make them pay. But now that you've got Nurkic, he was making the right decision. He was dunking the ball with authority. He was finishing with touch because Sage, really throughout the bubble, Nurkic's touch around the rim has been very suspect. And it's reminded a lot of, it's reminded a lot of fans of skinny Nurk, you know, that series against the Pelicans where he just could not throw it in the ocean. He just didn't know where he was underneath the rim, but he was making quick, decisive moves towards the basket. And you talked about picking your poison. You do that a couple of times. They're going to back off of Dame and they're Mm going to have to play us straight up. And that plays right into our hands. So, I thought that was a really big step in the right direction for the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, It was kind of weird. The Brooklyn Nets were playing this type of defense and playing this hard on the last game of the season. But
1: I remember Casey saying this a while ago where Karis LeVert obviously is under contract forever, but Tyler Johnson, TLC, Garrett Garrett Temple, all of these players are fighting for their jobs. You know, the Brooklyn Nets are going to bring more people in. So it's like... It behooves those individuals to play hard, but I didn't think Harris would be balling like he was, but I totally get it for those other guys.
0: And then you look at Carmelo Anthony. Yes, he missed that three that could have sealed it, and that really could have been the last last look of the Blazer season had Levert converted on the other end, but he still hit the three that I thought let the Blazers relax a little bit. When we were going through that, that, those sequences of CJ and Gary Trent Jr. missing wide open threes, I really got flashbacks to the Houston Rockets in game seven of the 2018 Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors where they missed 27 straight threes. A team known for their, their prowess from beyond the arc that they just got tense and they tightened mm-hmm. up and they didn't let it fly like they normally do. They were in their heads and I could see it in the Blazers. They were playing like that a little bit in the second half. Primarily in that third quarter, you knew they were playing with the pressure. But Mello came up clutch and it was like, okay, we saw the ball go in. We can do this. And so that's what like four or five times from Mello, this bubble. I mean, he hit those two massive threes against Memphis, the game winner against Houston, a big three against Dallas, and a big three against Philly. Um, He's been. Incredible, um, and his
1: defense has been great too because he made some clutch, clutch tipped passes that ended up off the nets. Like he he came up clutch a lot of a lot of the these games that we happen to win. It's because Melo makes a a play that's just momentum shifting. The one thing I really want to talk about with Nurk is in the first half he was timid. When they played him like they they did where they doubled off Dame and let him dribble, it was like he took three or four dribbles to get where he was going. In the second half, it was two dribble, two, three dribbles max, and then he made his decision. That type of quick thinking was a real difference between us winning and losing.
0: I thought the turning point for him was when he got the ball underneath the basket in the fourth quarter, not even the dribble, just turned and cocked it and threw it down. Mm-hmm. Um, that was huge. I don't I don't think we can give Hassan Whiteside enough credit. I thought this was the best shift that I have seen from Hassan Whiteside, probably since the Blazers did that mini run when Dame went super nuclear um in the late winter. He was playing some good ball there. I think it was the
1: LA game where I saw Peak Hassan.
0: He was playing really good ball during that stretch, but he comes in, gives us 15 solid minutes off the bench. 5 of 6 from the field, 6 of 6 from the line, 9 rebounds, 2 blocks, 1 steal and 16 points. If we get that Hassan, that is such a lift because you're going to have to make teams that go small pay for having a big horse inside.
1: How many how many free throws did he draw? Hassan? Yeah. 6 of 6. Was he the was he second on our team in free throws? He was third. CJ was seven okay. for eight. Dane okay. was eight for nine. I mean, he those easy baskets with the time off was huge for us, especially in that second quarter when he was just the only one getting those offensive rebounds and then putbacks. Getting those fouls just was an added bonus that we really needed in that that time of the game. Man, it was it's back and forth, and he was getting those so those free throws.
0: And I would argue he kind of kept us afloat when that third quarter looked like it was floating Mm -hmm. away. Um, Mm -hmm. Those putbacks, he has nice touch around the rim, which I don't think people give him enough credit for. And I wouldn't blame Hassan too much for the defensive struggles. Terry Stotts' defensive scheme, which we'll get into, just doesn't help Hassan at all. Uh,
1: It's not a a defense for Hassan. Hassan's more... Mm -hmm. I'm meeting you at the rim type of
0: athlete. Just like he did with Chris Stapp's Porzingis. I mean, that was a great mano-a-mano block at the rim, kind of a momentum-changing block for the Blazers. And then I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, C.J. McCollum, who had had a really rough outing against the Dallas Mavericks on Tuesday night, played 39 minutes, 8 points, was a minus 25 Um, two for 14 from the field, one for five from three, and just really didn't look like he could get it going. He had a couple of good looks and they would just rim out and Mm you kind of felt like it's going to be that type of night after the game, Dwight James is reporting that he has some lower back fracture and one of the vertebrae. Um, apparently it's basically a pain tolerance Type of injury, but again, that's that's never good when your second or third best player is dealing with an injury. But then Sage, CJ came up big. I mean, this was Denver Game Seven. CJ he started mm-hmm. it off strong. He got us off to a good start. Ends with twenty five. Gets to the line like we mentioned eight times. Hits seven of those. Seven dimes, four boards, including a massive rebound in, in that fourth quarter, and he had the game winning bucket. Um, that was vintage CJ. Denver, That's Denver, yep. <laughs> in the Mile High City, I mean, that defender may as well have been Tory Craig because he had him on the island, and you just knew it was going to go in. And that was a huge performance for CJ. How many rebounds did he get? He had four, but it felt like he was active. It
1: felt like he had eight because he was he was he was mixing it up, and then the Nets dominated us on the boards. So Which to have your guards,
0: if, if you're a small ball team, you cannot. The Blazers cannot get out-rebounded. They got out-rebounded 46 to 42. That may not seem like a large margin, but when you're playing your strength against another team's strength, you can't lose. When, when If rebounding is your calling card, Sage, and second-chance points are, are what is going to negate their open looks from three, you cannot lose that rebounding battle. And I do think a lot of it was tired legs because, like we said at the, the start, Every game has gone down to the last possession.
1: It's like we we, we wanted to jump for the rebound and not box out. Yes. We didn't put a butt on body. Rarely ever. It might have been Nurk boxing out uh, the, the center, and then it was just a free-for-all after the ball. Like The only time I felt safe was when it was going into Yusuf's vicinity for the rebound. If it was going any other way, I felt this is going to be a two-possession uh, possession for the nets like that that if we're going to be a traditional team we better punish them for for going small and we didn't bust them or punish them at all on the rebounding end they gave teams that you know don't deserve second and third possession second and third possessions and you know they're they're trying to score they're trying to play for their jobs in the future so of course they're going to be trying their hardest getting those rebounds passing it out and We got lucky, man.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, we we dodged a bullet, but I I do want to call to attention and I've chatted with with you about this. Something does feel a little odd that the Blazers have been taking these last two teams best punches. Um, And I don't want to take anything away from the Phoenix Suns. They're a feel good story. I personally love Monty Williams. They haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years. So they, they were long overdue. But their last four games, every team they played sat significant starters. And Portland, yes, they were the benefactor of that as well, and we blew it against the Los Angeles Clippers. But the Dallas Mavericks rested their starters on Monday against Utah and then went full bore against us on Tuesday, rested Porzingis and Luka essentially today against Phoenix. And then you have the Brooklyn Nets who just – like we mentioned, they're playing playoff type of defense against Dame. I think it makes us better going into the postseason. But it's, it's, it was just really annoying knowing that we weren't going to get any help behind us because they were just beaten up against scrub teams and we had to kind of run through a wall against our last two opponents.
1: It does not matter now. Teams are going to rest players that they want to rest. It is what it is. We're, we're in the playoffs. The Suns are chilling. If they got a little help, they got a little help. But when when it matters, the Blazers won. So all the resting and all the other stuff doesn't matter.
0: It'd be nice to be able to rest, Dame. Just, just, a, no, just. A- you know that
1: will never happen, bro. Like, never, ever, ever. I guess. But when, good. I mean, when has the last time the Blazers have taken advantage of a team that's missing a star player and beat the living shit out of them?
0: Probably going into the playoffs last year. No, I mean you're right. We always play around with those teams, but, but what I'm saying is, Brooklyn. I have never seen the Brooklyn Nets play that hard. I mean, they were literally playing the New Orleans Pelicans 2018 defense again for the last game of the season. And you're always, you know, telling me, "Hey, it's April basketball. Teams are just whatever." But Jock hey,
1: Vaughn's playing, coaching for his career. Uh- like, all of these other players are playing hard.
0: I agree. I'm just saying it's something... I mean, they're I... not the New
1: Orleans Pelicans of 2020 where they don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> I'm I'm happy to see tough basketball. It's just... It is what it is, bro. They These teams made a decision to rest their starters against Phoenix and play against us pretty tough. It is what it is. And, I mean, the Spurs... Got the benefit of the doubt from it as well, but at the end of the day,
0: they're at home. You're right, Sage. I mean, we talked about this. If we couldn't beat Brooklyn, we didn't deserve to get in there. Yeah. But that aside, I'm just saying it's something felt really fishy about this. Maybe it's like, I don't know. I'm not even a big conspiracy theorist, but just like looking at what I've seen over this past week, just kind of makes you like, hmm. What's what's going on? But but, if
1: if the NBA said we want book over Dame, don't you think it'd be a less interesting?
0: That that's why it's it's really weird to me. And maybe that's Dame uh, is
1: the biggest star out of the teams that were able to make it to the uh, playoffs.
0: You're right.
1: You can argue Zion, but they're both two K athletes and they're both on the cover, so it's equal. I don't know. Like if if there was a conspiracy theory. Wouldn't the the Blazers be the beneficiaries, not the 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 people that had to take on the challenge full
0: bore? Maybe. I mean, the NBA really handed it to us with this schedule that they dropped on us. But I know, just say, do we ever do we have beef with the Mavericks? Because it feels like it really started with Dallas. Like they're the ones who they had a chance to catch Utah for six. They rested everyone for the Jazz. Went all out against us. And then rest Porzingis and play Luca twelve minutes today against Phoenix. Like I know Terry used to coach for Carlisle, and again I don't want to hand out. I'm just trying to kind of like uncover. Like, is there any sort of like bubble bubble shatter going on? Like, like what? I don't know. Probably for another day, another dollar. But I I do want to talk about. We are more of a playoff
1: team than the Suns. So maybe they wanted to get Luca and Porzingis going against a team with a dynamic player that can change games in one shot, kind of like Dame. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not in Carlisle's head, but it is what it is.
0: I want to talk about Zach because to be honest, I don't want to sound too hard on the third year player who this is his 11th game of the regular season, but he plays only 17 minutes tonight. Sage scores two points, one of seven from the field, six rebounds, no blocks, no steals, no real impact on the game. And even more concerning Sage, I saw a terrified basketball player out on the court, especially in the second half when he was taking that three at the top of the key, when nobody was around him, I was like, you got to take him out of the game. He didn't look like he wanted any part of that shot.
1: You know, it's tough. I I think that this bubble has been amazing for guys like Gary Trent Jr. and Yusuf and
0: TJ Warren.
1: Yeah. Oh, shit. I met Warren Booker, all these other players. But I think that it's been awful for Zach. And, and it's
0: it's tough because we all anticipated, oh, we got Zach and Nurk. Like it's always been Zach and Nurk, never just Nurkic. Like we're getting both of those two front court pieces back. And Sage, our best defensive lineup is when Gary Trent Jr. comes in for him.
1: hmm it, it it's tough, man. Like he's he's I mean, let's look. Because there he hasn't he's a third year player, yes, but he hasn't been playing third year games or minutes like I know his contract says he's a third year player but he's played 150 games in three years like he's that's a that's second year basketball player amount of games and minutes so we're putting a lot of pressure on him and we expected him to do better but as as we've seen through these eight games it's hard to what is the ultimate matchup for Zach to succeed in what is that at the four
0: thankfully for the Blazers it could be their first round matchup in Los Angeles that's a team that plays traditional four or five basketball they don't play small small ball eats the Blazers up with how they want to play do you trust Zach on AD though I he's another body Sage what I saw when we had to play the Lakers without Zach and Nurkic. I'll trust Zach. Um, don't don't get me wrong. I don't want to see Carmelo want Anthony Davis. I mean, for hmm. the love of God, we had to put Wenyan Gabriel on Anthony Davis um that last game in Los yeah. Angeles. And I think what, I mean, we're projecting, but you talked about a good matchup. I think it is a team like the Lakers that goes big where you're able to have a have a Nurkic and have a Collins and what a Gabriel. His-
1: What was his game like against Memphis and was he hot in the beginning against the Philly against the Sixers?
0: No, it was against the Mavericks. He was hot. He had like nine points and six rebounds. Against the Memphis Grizzlies in his first regular season game in the bubble, 37 minutes, seven points, nine rebounds, three assists, a steal, three of nine shooting from the field, one of three from three. I think for Zach Collins, what we need, we need a couple of things. I haven't seen that fire from Zach, and I don't know if he feels like he can't talk his shit because he said he has a pretty vulgar mouth and he doesn't want to get called for a bunch of technicals, and maybe that gets him going. I haven't seen his fire. He's usually a very fiery competitor. Uh, One, I want to see that. That's something that he can turn on, that he can control. I want to see him get stronger with the ball around the basket, whether that's on a defensive rebound or when he gets the ball in traffic, he needs to have some form of awareness. I saw too many times where he would go back up for a shot tonight against, All Brooklyn. against five, five there players, four or five guys. <laughs> saved, and there was Jared Allen just going to swat it away. Like, you know, a ping pong ball. I was like, get that out of here. Then I they, mean,
1: when we get offensive rebounds, problems? The defense is scrambling on an offensive rebound. Kick it out to one of the three dead-eye shooters or one of the four dead-eye shooters that's on the court with you. Don't try and put it up against five separate people with ten arms. Like, goddamn, that that was the possession I was like, all right, Melo, you're going to play some big extended minutes for us on this one because Zach's trying to do, do a post move on
0: five five-on-one. He needs to keep his fouls under control. He fouled out in that Memphis game. He got two really quick fouls. He didn't commit a foul against Brooklyn, but he really wasn't part of any of the action and only played 17 minutes. And Sage, I think for him to be a solid answer at the four for the Blazers, he needs to hit shots. He needs to be a threat from the perimeter. He's got good form on his shot, but he doesn't have any confidence when he releases it. He doesn't believe it's going in. You look at Gary Trent, you look at CJ, Mello, Dame, they could miss 10 in a row. They, they believe that next one is mm. going to drop. I need to see some of that irrational confidence from Zach. Maybe, I, I don't know what needs to get him going. Maybe we're expecting too much from him, but the reason we're expecting so much is because of Damian Lillard. This guy turned 30 years old. The, 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 he is in his peak right now we don't know how long that's going to last so if you're going to be a nice piece two to three years from now I'm sorry that's not good enough and I think these next I mean I don't know if we get through the plan or not or, or if we get into the postseason but these next handful of games are going to tell me a lot about whether we move forward with with Zach Collins and you may be saying Dustin, and that's a little bit harsh he was injured for all this 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 season and yeah it might be a little harsh but Damian Lillard with what I've seen needs all of the help that is ready to win right now. You do not leave a top five player just hanging, just, you know, out in the cold, not getting him any help. But that time has passed. Neil needs to push everything that we have and go all in and build around Dame because this guy is special, Sage. So we've talked about
1: damn near all of the players on our team that's in the rotation. And in this rotation... We've seen them go on hot streaks and cold streaks and them bite as a unit to win games. So what players do you feel confident to mesh with the core of the team in Dame, CJ, and Yusuf?
0: One, I'll throw Gary Trent as part of the core. He's part of my core. Like he has he has earned his his spot. Best perimeter defensive player by far. I still believe he's a knockdown shooter. He struggled a little bit these last two games, but the forms there, he's only going to get better. Are you talking about for this play-in series and postseason, or I'm talking
1: about season? the future. Like we've seen them show more heart than they have a small sample size. Sure. But heart doesn't having heart as a basketball player. Isn't really a, a way to, there's no, not a way to track how much heart you have. So in terms of heart, and contributing to this team, who, who do you like with the core?
0: With the core, clearly I want Mello back. If he's willing to come back on a decent deal, I don't know if that's starting at the three or coming off the bench, but he's still clearly got it. He's a clutch ass player. He's apparently a, a fantastic locker room presence, a wonderful teammate. He did win the Maurice Lucas community service award. Just, uh, I believe on Tuesday, Melo is a, is a surefire bring back. I still rock with my two young guys. My two young guys are Wenyan Gabriel and Nasir Little. One, I don't think their trade value is very high, so it would be reckless to move them for nothing. But you brought this up, I believe, just a while ago on text. And you're like, is Nasir Little maybe our future small ball four? And I think he might be. If he can become a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, I think he could be a better version of Jeremy Grant you can work him into the rotation. You don't necessarily need to start him, but you can give him some minutes. And if you get enough vets around the team, there's enough time for a couple of young players. Right now, the Blazers just have too many young, young mouths to feed, and you can't wait on the development of, of five or six of them. You can have two to three, you know, a little bit deeper in your rotation that you can bring along. And those two are, are mine. And again, I'm already uh, elevating Gary Trent Jr. up into up into part of that core. I just love Wenyan's intelligence on defense. I I wish he would get more, more minutes than Mario Hazonia. Um, he's active. He plays the passing lanes. He rebounds. He's long as all hell. Um, he and this year both play with such energy. Again, I talk about this ad nauseum, but this year really moves well without the basketball. And when Dane was going super nuclear, we talked about picking your poison. Dane would get in that lane and this year would go baseline, throw up the lob, and there you go. That's that's lights out, game over. So those are the three players that I really like. Um, I'm also a big Rodney Hood fan, so I hope he picks up his option. That's a low-risk low investment for the Blazers because, one, you know he doesn't have any trade value coming off of Achilles. The team loves him, so he's a he means more to us than you type of guy. Mm. And he's a player who's comfortable both starting and coming off the bench. He's a big guard who can punish little guys down in the paint. He was a damn near 50% three-point shooter off of the catch-and-shoot. And And I think with the emergence of Gary Trent Jr., and whether you keep Trevor Ariza or if you package him to get another small forward, you don't have to rush. Rodney Hood back into you playing 35 minutes a night. You can really take your time with hoodie. And if he can come back and yes, I, I've always said the Achilles is probably the worst injury an athlete can have, but look no further than the WNBA's Breonna Brianna Stewart. So she was the WNBA MVP in 2018 helped the storm to a, a championship that same year. She tears her Achilles out for the entire season. I've watched quite a bit of her this season and she looks better than ever. So it can happen. And I trust Rodney's getting the the rehabilitation and the treatment that he needs. He's got a great work ethic. So I, I'm expecting Hoodie to come back. I really like that. So if we're looking at my guys, Hoodie, Gabriel, Little, and Mello, um, doesn't mean I'm kicking everybody else to the curb. But if you ask me to pick, that's who I'm going to pick.
1: Mm. Well, like I would say the big three definitely. I think – Gary is someone that is a very versatile player. Nas is too young to not give up on him. Anthony's too young to give up on him. Interesting to see what we decide with Hassan because
0: it's all contract with Hassan. Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's tough because he would be a really good player to have with the, with Nurk because Nurk has never been a big minutes
0: guy. And you need an. I mean, I, knock on wood. Love the Bosnian beast. You just need some Nurkic insurance if you're yeah, the boy. I the mean, beast. whoever it
1: may be, like if it's Hassan Whiteside and and then another guy that can put up buckets really quickly, that's a great Nurkic uh, insurance policy. So uh, I, th- I think all the young guys are too young to give up on. I think Melo's came up clutch. If he's willing to take a backup role, he's definitely back. I like what we have – as a as like a team with when in, with dogs and people that are willing to fight, we just have to have, I think one more piece to the puzzle of like a real skill guy. And then we have players that are willing to bust their ass. I mean, Dane busted his ass for us the last two games to get us into a position to be in the the eight nines uh, play in. But we got guys that are that are dedicated to this team and just need. That royal jelly and that playing time to show what they're worth because we don't really know what Wayne Nguyen is and we don't really know what Nasir is. We don't know a lot of these guys, so it's going to take time one, to really know. Him.
0: You mentioned one, one or two pieces, and to me, the, the one or two pieces are a secondary ball handler, which we need to. So we have the mid-level exception. We we can you know move our pick in a trade, match salaries, whatever. We also have a mid-level exception. The two players types that I would like to address, we need a secondary ball handler off the bench. A guy like Goran Dragic, who is a veteran. He can score. He can run an offense. He can
1: drive to the lane.
0: Yes, he can get to the bucket. He's he's another master of the mid-range. He's been there. And then a guy like Jeremy Grant, he has a prototypical small ball four, plays fantastic defense, a high IQ guy, And is a threat from three. What the Blazers need to do is they need to look at each player. Are you a threat? As long as your name's not Hassan Whiteside or Yusuf Nurkic, are you a threat from three? If the answer is no, I think you need to maybe move on, because how the NBA is progressing is you have to have a shooter on the floor at all times. Age. Everyone needs to be a multiple shooters. Two or three. Yeah. I mean three minimum. The days of having a Tony Allen on the floor, those are gone. Defenses will beg him to shoot the ball 30 times a night. How you get Dame loose is by making defenses pay for for doubling him. And Dame is clearly our number one option and our best option. So we want him as free as possible.
1: You know, we we can't make moves for anybody else but to improve Dame's ability to lead us to higher and higher heights. We can't make moves that are future moves when we have a transcendent player. And I, I agree that we need to have four shooters in at all times because of what our scheme is and it being four out. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think that we definitely need to look at our roster and find a, a backup guard that can initiate offense, but
0: also be that threat. Sage is, and I want you to answer this just with, with your, your heart and your intelligence. I I know you haven't been a fan of the organization for the entire 50 year span. That's not possible. You're still a young buck in my eyes, Thanks. but you know, the history, you know, who's on the Blazers Mount Rushmore. Is Damian Lillard the Blazers' goat to you, or do you still – this is essentially a dribble-pass-shoot. Dribble pass shoot Is Damian Lillard the Blazers' goat to you?
1: Can I explain myself? Yes. I think he's the best player, but Bill Walton has led us to the highest of heights. But I think he's the greatest we've ever had, but Bill Walton's accomplished more. So until, until Dame gets us the chip, I think – Bill Walton has been the most accomplished player in terms of the most important thing in basketball.
0: I mean, there's not, there's not a wrong answer. I think the three in Blazer fans eyes are Lillard Drexler and Walton. And I think there's arguments to be made for each. Walton clearly has reached the pinnacle winning a championship and a finals MVP. He's had the most individual success winning the 78 regular season MVP Draxler is the best all-around talent of the three and at the moment holds the most records and was the centerpiece of the best three-year run in franchise history from 90 to 92, two finals appearances. And then they have the 63 win, which still holds the franchise record for wins uh, kind of tucked in between during 1991. And then you have Damian Lillard, who I think is the best offensive player of the bunch of all time to have worn a blazer uniform. I think he's the most loyal I think he has all the intangibles, and I think he's done the most with less. And the reason he is my goat, and I was leaning towards that after the postseason run last year, but I'm very nostalgic for Drexler. He's the reason that to get me into basketball, uh, essentially that team. And what really did it for me was these last three performances. After coming up short against the Clippers, Dame doesn't double down and fold and let the, the fill of missing those two free throws, beat him again. He comes sage. The last three stat lines are just so perplexing and mind blowing that it's, it's crazy that I'm even going to say these numbers, 51 points, 61 and 42, all while playing 40 plus minutes and being the, the focal point of the defense. I just don't think I've ever seen a blazer, player carry his team more than Dame and I would guarantee that if Dame played in 77 or if he played in the early 90s, he's got a banner. Um, I mean
1: if he played in 77 with the skills that he has today, they would burn him at the stake for being a witch of basketball dog. Like
0: but you just look at, at the he has the highest ceiling like, for sure. Wool had sure. two all stars with Lucas and Hollins. Drexler had two all stars with Duckworth and Porter the best player Damian Lillard's ever played with was Lamarcus Aldridge, and that was five years ago. In 2016, Vegas projected us to win 23, 26 games. He gets us to the second round. He's hit the two biggest shots in franchise history against the Rockets and Thunder. Oh, speaking of the Thunder, that's arguably, I think, the greatest playoff single game performance in franchise history. A 50 piece to send a team packing? Ah, oh, my, I mean, filthy. So, again, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I have just been – I have been overwhelmed with Dame and just how incredible he truly is. Like, he legit just didn't – he willed this team to the playing game. I mean, there's – there's you can mention any stat you want, Sage. The reason the Blazers are in the playing game is because Damian Lillard just said, I will not let us lose. D-
1: Dame is has the greatest ceiling, has the – can carry us farther and more for more years than any of the other two greats. He, he's incredible, but it's tough to name somebody a goat because, you know, you got to give the props to Clyde and Bill Walton and all the, those players for building a foundation where Dame can, can really succeed in this 2020 season.
0: All right, Sage, I, uh, we got a quite a few, uh, we have quite a few fan questions. So let's dive in to those. What do you say? All right. So this is from Jay Shway at schwake Jared on Twitter. Jared, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your handle, but thank you for the question. Sage, Jared wants to know, what is the one thing that needs to improve to get this team over the hump? What is the one thing you think they will focus on? Physicality in the paint, defense, the the ever general term of continuity. What is it that's going to get this Blazer team over the hump in your eyes?
1: I mean, it has to be perimeter defense, but I don't think that's a feasible thing to fix. I think a feasible thing to fix would be Taking our time in the paint and actually hitting these bunnies at like a 70% margin instead of rushing our shots. I feel like that's the easiest thing to change. But if I had my druthers and I can choose, it has to be our defense.
0: I think the defense for me is number one, I don't know if it gets changed enough for the play in or a potential series against the Lakers. But if we're looking ahead, I think it's time Terry Stotts adapted his defensive scheme. The prevent defense just doesn't get it done in the modern NBA. We either need we either need a new staff, and I know that will surprise a lot of Blazer fans, or we need Terry to say, okay, I'm going to adapt. I'm going to go out and find a defensive coordinator, which you have called for for years. And here's why, Sage. In the bubble, the Blazers are allowing 123.4 points per game. That is five points per game worse than the 30th rated defense from the regular season, which was the Atlanta Hawks (laughs) at 119.7. 123.4. They have given up 49.4% field goal shooting and have allowed opponents to shoot a scorching 48.5% from three. I, I, I don't... I don't know what else, like numbers don't lie. Mm. The strategy isn't working. We were six and two Sage, but it it took Herculean efforts from Damian Lillard, which is unrealistic to expect over the course of a playoff or heaven forbid an 82 game season, something must change. And I think that's what gets the Blazers over the hump, the, the talents there, I mean, you, you look Dame, CJ, Mello, Zach, Nurk, Hassan, Gary, that, that's not worst defense in, in the league bad. Like, I, that's at least, we need to be at least a middle-of-the-pack defense, and it just feels like every night we have to score 130 to be competitive.
1: Somebody made a million dollars bidding against the Blazers and DFS. Someone had to have made a, a buttload of money just saying, lead initiator for the the Nets? Got you. It's incredible how how bad it is when you lay out all of the the defensive uh, stats and how, I mean, like we we were playing at a faster pace. So teams are getting points easier and we dictate into some fast games. Yeah. I I think, I think defense has to be the thing that if, if we could fix magically it's defense, but I think that that's the most difficult thing for us to fix in the short term
0: bubble. And Sage, I I would just, even if we get burnt by it, I want to see some form of adaptation. We did it one time where we tried to take the ball from Karis Levert. And yeah, Garrett Temple hit a three, but you know what, Sage, I'm okay with Garrett Temple hitting a three. Karis Levert cannot be allowed to basically crisp all us and dribble down the court, you know, kind of back his defender in, and then I'm going to go in for a layup because we're so afraid of taking the ball out of his hands. You can't let their best player get hot and expect us to get multiple defensive stops when when you're just letting him ISO and he's getting to the rim. Um that that I mean that that's a nutshell. Again, I'm not trying to be too negative. I don't want to take away from the victory the fact that we went six and two in the bubble, but I think if you are a Blazer fan, you have to remove your Rose City glasses. So and
1: out of the things that he listed, what's the most Easy, easily fixable thing because it sure is fucking defense
0: well I, I think it is in in a sense so hear me out our defensive intensity picks up when Gary Trent jr checks in he's clearly our most physical defender I think the blazers do two things very poorly that if they just did them mediocre we would be a mediocre defense. And that is defending without fouling. So Nurk, Zach, I'm looking at you. Quit reaching in when you know they're gonna blow the whistle. And two, fight over a goddamn screen. Gary Trent Jr. does it. I, I don't know why nobody else does it. Like that just can throw a defense off their or that can throw an offense off the rhythm. Uh we saw with Luka Doncic how well Gary Trent defended him because he got physical, he got into his chest. Sooner or later, Gary's going to get a rep for being a good defender, and they'll let him get away with a little bit more physicality. I don't know if that's going to happen now, but I'm okay if we take a more physical tone. Um, so those are two things right there that I think make you a top 20 defense rather than the worst in the worst in the NBA. <laughs> like, the bar is so <laughs> goddamn low for this team. There's just just a couple of things, and if you just do them decent – Will be a decent defense. I'm begging. Hey, I, I I've I've been speaking the uh, the tr-
1: the 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 truth of just do one or two things good. Um, I think that w- when shit matters, Terry Stotts is going to revert to the things that have gotten them him there as a coach. So he might be able to do the the blitzing style of defense that you you said, but. Five minutes left in the game. I know we're not doing that. I know we're going to revert back to the Terry Stotts defense.
0: I just find it comical that the one game that Terry Stotts implemented a fantastic defensive strategy, which was against the Houston Rockets, the diamond defense. That was our best defensive performance by far. We held them to 102 points per game in the bubble. The next lowest amount we allowed was 115. Mm-hmm. So, yes. But we I,
1: didn't run diamond defense the entire time. We reverted back to Stott's defense in the fourth quarter. I was still
0: 37 quarter. possession. I mean, so this is where I give him credit. You can't run the same thing over and over. You have to pick and choose your spots. That's what I like about that adaptation was it gave them a different look a couple of times down the floor over the course of a game. And of course they only did it when Harden was in the game. So when he sat, it was more of a, a similar yeah. defense. Yeah. All I'm asking for is change, variation, physicality, and frankly, a little bit more intensity. Um, I know it's tough because they basically played eight, when win- go home games <laughs> and you got some <laughs> tired legs, but that's what it takes to win um, mm. in this league. So we got a few more questions, Sage uh, JJ woods at Patty's pub talk. He wants to know, the Blazers looked a little unprepared to run an offense with Dame getting doubled at the half court. Do you think Terry has them better prepared for it in the play-in games and possibly against the Laker matchup?
1: It's tough because you don't really run an offense when the, uh, when the opposing team is throwing so much at your lead initiator. You're trying to pass pass and get an open shot or a dunk. So it's, it's really tough to use your limited time to prepare your team to be more efficient when it's a trap-heavy lineup. It's kind of a read-and-react type of thing. So I don't know if we would spend our time to get more uh, be a more fluid offense in those times where they just full-out blitz game. I think we did an okay job at the in the fourth quarter. At this is what they're doing. This is how I can can attack it. I'll pass it, pass it, and then make a play. So I think maybe it's have quicker decision making. But I don't know how as a, as a coach you install a quicker decision making type of offense. So I think it'll be very similar.
0: On one hand, it's it's frustrating to see teams double dame. And we kind of play with our heads cut off for four or five possessions because this has been happening with Damian Lillard as the lead initiator. Forever. Really, since LaMarcus and Wes and Nick all left, teams double down. They threw the kitchen sink at Dame, and it just seems like there are times it can take us out of our our, our rhythm. On the other hand, this is a team that is really brand new to each other. I mean, look, I mean, just just think of the, the team. You have Dame, and you have CJ. But outside of that, you're playing Carmelo Anthony, who was picked up in November. You're looking at Gary Trent Jr., who is just really now getting rotation clutch minutes. Zach Collins hasn't played. uh, He's played like 11 games, including the scrimmages since the third game of the regular season. And he's never been a starter prior to this year. Nurkic hasn't played since March of 2019. Um, Hassan Whiteside's a brand new player. Mario Hozoni is a brand new player. There is no continuity. There is no chemistry. That hurts. So, when teams make you panic and they take you out of your comfort zone, you're going to see turnovers and you're going to see rushed decisions. The one thing I am thankful of that the Brooklyn Nets played all in tonight was it was more of a sample size, and the Blazers got more uh, repetition against this type of defense because best believe Dame's going to see this against Mm. the Grizzlies. And if we pass them, the Lakers as well. Um, I liked how we really attacked it though. Um, You look at all of the open looks that Melo, CJ, and Gary got. Those are going to go in nine times out of 10. Um, Mm -hmm. It just wasn't our night tonight to really make the defense pay. And then we doubled that up by finding Nurkic in the middle of the paint where, I mean, he was going to feast against, you know, six, five, six, six guards, and he really made them pay. So I think just with more time playing with one another, That's going to ultimately lead to more smoother transition. But I just hope that they know when they watch film that, hey, this is probably going to come. This is where we need to be. Hopefully this was a nice dress rehearsal for the the main event.
1: And I I think if in late game scenarios, when they do this, Melo has to be on the court. We need another guy who's been there, done that, and has IQ. Like we we can't do... if they blitz us and we don't instantly put Mello in and leave, let's just say Anferny in, it's going to be a very bad or Rio in. It's going to be a very disastrous rotation. The, the, the basketball IQ, the, the amount of games he's played, he's seen a lot of the, the defenses throw stuff at him and how he would react. You saw CJ pass him the ball to inbound it when they are blitzing in the last two minutes. I think we really will need to rely on Melo's experience it, when these games get more and more blitz heavy.
0: Next question from one of my uh, favorite accounts Blazers Down Under at Blazers Down on Twitter. How can we stop these third quarter fadeouts or how can we stop teams from scoring at will? Sage, we already talked about how we can t- stop teams from scoring at will, but if we look at the third quarter, just from these last two games, it wasn't pretty. Brooklyn outscored the Trailblazers 37 to 24, and the Mavericks 37 to 32. Only a five-point differential there, but if you look at the the number 37 points in each quarter, the way the Blazers are playing right now, Sage, they're they're kind of playing with fire, trying to outscore an opponent. And if they get into a streak of three or four missed shots, maybe a turnover here or turnover there you're looking at what was a nine point lead against Brooklyn down to a 10 point deficit. And mm. I think that's the nature of these third quarters is we don't get multiple stops. And if you're not getting multiple stops on defense, you don't give your offense a chance to just breathe and not feel so pressured to score every time down the floor. What, what a, do you think? Is, is The thing, thing I you- noticed is
1: we we, we play very equal to them in the first two quarters and then we'll have a dry spell. So we're not, scoring at the same pace and at the same rhythm as the opposing team and that's where we get into trouble like i remember them doubling us up so we can play all the defense we want but if we're not scoring to combat that it's it may it compounds the problem a lot so i think in that third quarter we got to be very focused especially against the grizzlies and potentially the lakers where we take care of the ball and get good shots and not rush it. So it's like a very quick possession because that's where we get in trouble when we don't keep up scoring with them.
0: And what's weird is I was thinking, you know, turnovers have just been a bugaboo and they must all come during that third quarter because we only had eight turnovers against Dallas and nine against Brooklyn. In general, we do a really good job of taking care of the ball, but it just seems like in those third quarters, we'll have a turnover and it ends up in a wide open three from the opposition in today's NBA, no lead is safe. And this is, to me, where defense comes in. You're not going to be like, okay, we can get it back. We can get a stop and then put string together two or three buckets and get momentum back. Uh, the Blazers, to me, they just need to be able to dig in, get stops, rebound, defend de- defend without fouling. Um, it just comes down to the fundamentals for me. And maybe so, it is in their heads a little bit. Maybe they've, they're reading all of us saying how bad the third quarters are. I, I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I hope it's just been a seating thing. And now that they're in the play and they can not relax because you don't want to relax, but just be like, okay, win one game. We are, we're in the playoffs. And I think maybe once they just get to the playoffs, they'll be like, okay, now let's focus on the Lakers. We can do this because, you know, there's a lot of pressure put on them in the bubble to perform after being out of basketball for four months. So,
1: in that uh, third quarter stint, Dame was made. He was negative thirteen in the third quarter. In the in Zach Collins' first stint, he didn't do anything. He didn't make any statistical. Uh, CJ in the third quarter missed free throws. Got a steal. Uh, he missed four shots, made three th- three uh, free throws. One assist. One steal. And was a negative thirteen. So it, it seems like to me at least the rotation the 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 players in that third quarter just have a lot of more negative mistakes, and it doesn't look like it's turnover. Well, it, it yeah, it doesn't look like it's turnovers. It just looks like really makeable shots that we brick, and then the opposing team gets an easy offensive possession against the unset defense. I was looking at popcorn machine and it wasn't showing
0: turnovers. It was just showing bricks. Sage, it is Thursday night, about 10 30 game finished, but we are here bringing the fans, the content that they want because there is no rest for the weary. After playing uh, tonight's game, the Blazers had a nine, nine o'clock local tip in, in Orlando they get basically 24 hours to put that in the past and they get another brunch time game for us here in Portland is 1130 tip ABC only against the Memphis Grizzlies. The Blazers are the eighth seed. Memphis is number nine. We all know it by now. Portland needs to win once and we are in the playoffs. Memphis has to win twice. If there is a second game, it will be Sunday. I believe at one 30 sage the Blazers and Grizzlies. Matched up to open the seeding games with Portland winning 140 to 135 in overtime. Both teams blew double digit leads. Uh, clearly, Jaron Jackson Jr. is absent for the Memphis Grizzlies. He had 33 points in that contest, including six three pointers. Uh, Memphis was just two and six in the bubble. Their wins coming against shorthanded Oklahoma City Thunder and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, for me, this is the the best possible matchup, uh, Mm. obviously the Phoenix Suns were eight. zero, and the San Antonio Spurs have the Greg Popovich factor. And they also go small. I I think of all the teams, this is the one the blazers have had to have wanted to, to see themselves matched up with Am I right there?
1: Yeah. It's too traditional, the two traditional teams going against each other. And if Zach Collins is supposed to have a big game, you know, him defending Anthony Tolliver. It doesn't put that much pressure on him to reach because I hope they've practiced against one another in the limited times that both of them were healthy and on the same. Team. I don't know.
0: We got rid of Tolliver in what January, February, and Zach was maybe just coming back. Well, Zach
1: wouldn't have came back, but like no, he
0: wouldn't. Have. I don't even think he was practicing
1: in the uh, the beginning of training camp. They played against each like.
0: Oh, I see which yes, Zach did play this season. Yep. Sorry. I can't believe we're still talking about the 1920 season to be completely honest. This is wild. It's, it's August 13th and the 50th season's still going on, folks. Hey, man.
1: But like hopefully that sh- that loosens the pressure on on Zach cuz if we need him to play bigger minutes cuz if he plays big minutes, it lessens the the rotations on our other wings and bigs. Um but this is definitely the uh, the team that we would like to match up on because, I mean, when we first played, Jaron Jackson and Clark were the two that made the run. J- Jonas Valanciunas, even though he had a big game today.
0: He was a minus 11 in that opening game.
1: Yeah, he was. A, I mean, Yusuf was in the middle of Yusuf Magic, too. And Yusuf's different than who did they Memphis? Uh, they played Milwaukee, correct?
0: Correct. Brooke Lopez.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's two different beasts going from a Brooke, the Lopez brothers defensive matchup to a use of Nurkic Hassan Whiteside matchup.
0: So Sage, knowing what you've seen of the Grizzlies in the bubble and what we've seen from the first matchup, what, what should we look out for? Who who's an X factor? Clearly, this is a different Memphis team. They're, they're limping into the bubble. Seems like it's a good matchup. Who are some of the players that we should look out for?
1: I think John Morant. First thing. I mean, we did a really good job of making him not want to be a efficient basketball player in that first half. And we sh- we we're in his way when he came to the basket and wanted him to be a jump shooter, not a penetrator. I think we have to build that wall against him when he goes to the basket. They lost their best dead eye shooter. So we can even be closer until a Dylan Brooks or a shit Garrett uh, Kyle Anderson? And great uh, yeah Kyle or Grayson Allen proves that they can shoot. So I would really just I would I would build that wall and make job try and go go through three Blazers to uh, score. I think that the more compressed our offense is, the better. If we have to pay Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson and Grayson Allen respect, it's going to be a longer game. So I would test. And once they've proven themselves, we have to adjust.
0: So from what I've watched of Grayson Allen, he has been hitting a, a lot of open shots, even some tough shots in the bubble. He's not one I would test. I still wouldn't test Tolliver either. I I think Zach needs to stay out on his his man there. But we talked about Tony Allen. And Tony Allen is Mr. Grit and Grind early in this podcast. They have a player similar in Kyle Anderson. He's not quite the the, the poor shooter that that Allen is. But we need to make them pay for starting Kyle Anderson and and beg him to shoot from three. I think Portland, despite giving up six of 15 shooting to Jaron Jackson Jr. in the opening contest, we did pretty well. They were only 13 of 41 for, from downtown. It was really a lot of uh, turnovers and maybe first first game jitters that did us in. But if if I'm the Blazers, there are two players that I'm really keyed in on. One, it's Brandon Clark. He killed us in Memphis right before the All-Star break and he had a fantastic game in the first seeding game. 21 points, 7 of 8 shooting from the field, 7 of 8 from the line. Seven boards, a steal, and two blocks. He is getting extended minutes with Tolliver and Valanciunas now that Jaron Jackson Jr. is out. Portland needs to put a body on him. God, this is a game where you could really have a guy like Ed Davis in there just to box some guys out. We need to do a better job on the glass. The glass, if we're looking at a statistic, Portland needs to win the glass. I think they win the glass significantly. They'll win this game. The other player that I want to look out for is Dylan Brooks. When he scores 20 points or more, the Grizzlies have a significantly higher winning percentage than when he doesn't. We got him into taking a lot of tough shots. He likes to take, uh, he like Dylan Brooks thinks he is better than than he really is. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: He has that irrational confidence and he will throw up some tough shots. I think if you can get him to, to play one-on-one rather than within the offense, that is a win for, the trailblazers. Uh, Sage, who is your X factor in, in the play in game?
1: So uh, before I talk about the X factor, it looks like Brandon Clark and Jonas played seven minutes together. What would we do in those seven minutes where both traditional bigs are on the court together?
0: I think that's honestly one that you could go Hassan and Nurk.
1: Yeah. So we could in theory, see two different rotations of the, the jumbo big lineup. I wouldn't do it with Anthony Tolliver or no, but those eight minutes could be a real domination fest for us. I think that it's got to be Dame versus Jaw, and then our bigs versus their bigs. Like it, it's time for Dame to just dominate this rookie. This rookie's never felt this pressure in an NBA setting. I would test him. I'd put Gary Trent on him from jump and just bulldog him the entire way in the entire game.
0: So you would come out with Dame, CJ, Gary, Carmelo, and Yusuf in the starting lineup.
1: It wouldn't kill us because it Anthony, Carmelo Tolliver could guard Anthony
0: Tolliver. Yeah.
1: It wouldn't kill us because Anthony's there. If it was Clark, I would go a different
0: way. That's a, Well, he started Tolliver today, so I assume they're going to bring Clark off the bench. Yeah,
1: that's what they've, they've been that- doing since the Jaron Jackson injury. Uh, I think that's
0: a fantastic strategy. We need to set the tone. So for a statistic, it was the glass for an intangible. I think it's setting the tone and getting off to a solid start. And my X factor for a player, it's Damian Lillard. I I love him going up against the guards of the Memphis Grizzlies. Even better, Jonas Valanciunas is not a defensive uh, threat. We saw how quick Dame just hit that turbo button and just right by Porzingis, like three or four times in that second quarter of the Dallas game. Get that big man, make him move his speed, play Mm. him in the pick and roll over and over and over again. And Dame will make the right passes. Our shooters will knock down shots. Sage, I do think the Blazers will win this first play-in game. I don't think it will take two. I think it's one.
1: I think the Blazers win game one. Is it the do the playoffs start on Saturday or is it no, just the playoffs us
0: start on Monday?
1: So it's just a Saturday and potentially Sunday. Correct. Okay.
0: And so you also were a perfect 2-0 and last week. You are
1: a no boy.
0: You're 50 and 23. I am 42 and 21. Um Rips City should feel very good about that prediction. That's
1: pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, averages on getting shit right. Maybe I should start doing sports betting. Nope, nope. That's <laughs> when
0: it's easy just to bet when there's, when there's a just bragging rights on the line. Man, uh,
1: I remember my first ever NBA bet was. I remember when the Atlanta Hawks were on their really good streak with the five man stack of really good uh, team basketball.
0: Oh yeah, that year they won Player of the Month for all their starting yeah. five.
1: You know what team beat them and busted their streak? Was it the Boston Celtics? It was the New Orleans Pelicans, and oh. I put I put money down on that, and that was my first ever and only uh sport bet, not DFS edition. Obviously, I've done DFS every day. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast nothing but net radio dash radio, Tuesdays, two to three Pacific Eastern four to five. And if you listen this far, you're a real one. This was basically directly after the game. And we will be back with you to talk about the potential Blazers victory on Saturday.
0: And before we wrap this one up, everyone out there who is in favor of democracy, I would assume that's all of our listeners. Uh, Keep your eyes and ears open to what's happening with the United States Postal Service. It's not, doesn't seem legit, but but it, it, it's happening. And ballots are taking a long time to get delivered. Uh, with the pandemic, everyone is trying to encourage uh, mail-in balloting, which we are very fortunate to have in Oregon. But unfortunately the president is slowing things down. So there are two things you can do. You can support your local post office. You can go and you can buy stamps. You can also do something that takes literally five minutes. Use your phone. We're on our phones all the time. You text USPS to the number 50409. It's a chat bot. It will ask you four or five questions, which will trigger three to four emails to your representatives that they can go and fix this for us to ensure that we have a fair and credible election. This is the most important moment of our country's history on November 3rd, and I want to make sure that everyone is registered to vote and that they're able to vote. So take those actions, spread the word, pass it on. We can't do this individually. We have to be a collective whole in this movement. We have to take it into our own hands. Um, And so with that, Sage, uh, I think we can wrap this one up.
1: Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.